be the best rugby coach you can be. Welcome to the Rugby Coach Weekly Podcast with head coach Dan Cottrell, where you learn hints and tips from the rugby coaching community. Let's get started. Hi, and welcome to the Rugby Coach Weekly Podcast with me, Dan Cottrell. And with me this evening, I'm delighted to have along with us Tim Ravenscroft. So good evening, Tim. Evening, Dan. How are you? I'm very well and delighted to have you with us. Um, you've already told me what not to call you uh, <laughs> uh, in terms of your military background. <laughs> I'm going to ask you what I'm allowed to call you and also just to ask you a little bit about your coaching background before I jump in with some questions. So over to you. Yeah, cool. Uh, thanks, Dan. Uh, so, yes, yeah, so my... Uh, rugby coaching kind of started probably four or five years ago. Uh, I was, um, you know, I guess probably by background, more of a cricket coach, doing some kids cricket coaching. Uh, my son then started playing tag rugby um, and I was stood watching the head coach of my son's team uh, struggling on his own with 15, 16 kids. And I made those famous last words of, if you want me to come help, just send me a text 10 minutes before the session, uh, at which point the text came. Uh, and uh, yeah, the rest is history. So I have since taken on kind of head coach of my son's team, which are there now under 12s in Bristol. Uh, and then alongside that, I've also got involved with Gloucester RFU as the sector head for mini youth rugby or age grade rugby uh, within the county, which is a really interesting sort of role and perspective on kids rugby in Gloucestershire. Um, it's a really interesting county to be involved in. Lots of dynamics, lots of stuff going on. So on a on a day to day basis, on in that particular role, what sort of things are you putting into action? Um, yeah, good question. <laughs> lots is the answer. There's lots of day to day business. Uh, it, it, probably emails to do with festivals and playing out of age group uh, requests, that sort of stuff. The reality is, what we're trying to do is really kind of support clubs better to do things that, to the best of their ability. Um, conscious that everyone is you know just about everyone is a volunteer involved um so trying to give them great information or good information or better information um and just trying to um support them to do things better and in many cases that's about helping them understand what good looks like if that makes sense yeah and what does good look like <laughs> yeah i knew you can ask that uh it, it very much depends what we're talking about i guess but 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 for me personally you know you don't have to go go uh, fishing too far if that makes sense if you're if you're running kids rugby under 30 and sorry, under 12s and below yeah the rfu has got an approach that that, that most clubs uh, look to take on and that's the kids first approach that gives you a pretty good steer in terms of ethos and what matters which is in upskilling coaches because that's how you create a better environment for your kids and that's how you know a, a better um more qualified well more qualified and a, a, a coach who understands his business better um albeit again noting everyone's a volunteer um it's probably going to create a better environment for the children um which means so, sorry just, to just remind me you said uh uh, it's all about the coaches, but it's kids first. Yeah. So uh, uh, who, who comes first? <laughs> kids is the straight answer. But I think it's about understanding that that if clubs can upskill their coaches, um, then fundamentally that has a knock-on effect down to uh, down to the kids, and it creates a much better sort of environment for the kids and, and uh, a much thought, much better thought through um, environment and uh, sort of coaching sessions. And, and actually, I'll I'll tell you a very 
quick story uh, how we first met and i'm not sure if you remember this but i was sat one day i just secured some sponsorship for my son's team we were I think under nines at the time um and i went bizarrely on linkedin onto a rugby coaching website a page on linkedin saying anyone know of any uh, sort of uh, freelance coaches that can come in and do sessions you messaged me within minutes we spoke within the hour and your your line was quite simply upskill the coaches don't pay for consulting, you know, kind of freelance coaches. Um, and, and actually, it's exactly the same ethos. You upskill the coaches, um, and, and, and that then has a knock-on effect down to the children, and that it creates a better environment for the kids. Um, so th- that, for me, a lot of the problems that we see in, within the county, and I say problems, pitch-side behaviour, um, whether it's coaching issues, a lot of them come back to whether or not a coach is kind of engaged, upskilled. And a lot of time, the coaches just don't know any different. You know, it's about somebody speaking to them and saying, have you tried course X, Y, and Z? Have you tried this approach? Have you tried this? Because they're probably coaching how they were coached 10, 20 years ago. Yeah. See, I find the difficulty is for quite a lot of these coaches is that they they have a day job and probably because they're coaching, they're relatively successful at their day job or busy with that. They've got children because that's why they're at training. And then they don't have that preparation time to really concentrate on nailing that session. And so when it comes to coaching, they're very keen to do a good job, but they they don't have, say, where, say, those who are in teaching or in school environments are thinking about teaching and learning all the time. So to try and give them nuggets of gold to use in coaching can be quite difficult. So I suppose that that's one of the things, challenges for you uh, at your end, because as you keep saying, these are volunteers mostly, and they don't have the time to uh, invest in coaching. You're absolutely right. And um, I, I, I find myself often, and I mean almost on a weekly basis, torn between two sides of the coin. One is um, these coaches are volunteers, you know, difficult to criticise them. They've given up their free time, and, and that is absolutely um, accurate and appropriate um but the flip side is uh, they're coaching children in most cases in, in terms of what i deal with uh they're coaching children um you know frankly legally it's a, it's a regulated activity from a safeguarding perspective so there's kind of one angle to it but if they're going to coach they, they that's you know so it's kind of a professional ish role if that makes sense you've got to take it relatively seriously and i think the kids um uh kind of deserve to have um somebody that can look into it so i think from our perspective um so i have a that i don't the county has that i chair a mini youth committee and when we first met this season um we all violently agreed that it was about getting better better information to people um so that's kind of you know we shouldn't have people shouldn't have to go out and, and, and dig out uh, and find the information about coaching courses for example um we need to get that information to them better we need to get the courses on at the right places at the right time. Um, we need to fi- find every single way to break down every single barrier so that those coaches are um, are better engaged. And, you know, if we can probably engage um, half a dozen, a dozen coaches every season and kind of get them to, to perhaps see things slightly differently, perhaps change their style of coaching, perhaps be slightly more child-centered about how they're doing it and slightly more thoughtful, not saying that people aren't thoughtful about how they coach. They absolutely are, but, you know, sometimes they they kind of haven't seen the other way, perhaps, or a different way. Um, that, then, if we're if we're if we're engaging another six to twelve a, a season over three years, that's you know thirty forty coaches doing hopefully a better job, and that has a that has a, a trickle down effect, doesn't it? So, 
Um, so yeah, it is a real challenge that 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 piece between yes, the volunteers, but the kids deserve the best they can get. If that makes sense. Yeah, I think someone dropped in just as you were talking there. As well. <laughs> that that was unfortunately me not turning my phone off. My my son, uh, my twelve-year-old son, sending, sending me a message on my phone. <laughs> and I, and uh, I would really hope that it's uh, coaching related. Like, uh, uh, father, I need to uh, think uh, about that uh, challenge you gave us last week <laughs> and uh, come up with this uh, this solution. Absolutely, I'm sure. It yeah, well, that's. I think I think the the, the problem. <laughs> from that phone call or or that uh, comes in is that we are often distracted by other things in trying to achieve what you want to do. And you go along with a great plan in mind and you arrive there and someone comes up to you and says, uh, Oh, by the way, last week, the, the change rooms are left in such a a tragic, tragic condition. Can you sort this out? And you're so vexed by that, that you actually lose focus uh, on the, the, the training session. And if you are, in control and calm and understand what you're doing, you can, you can roll with it. But often these coaches are coming along and they are thinking, I've got an hour and a half with these kids in front of me. And this is at the edge of my understanding. And somebody comes in and tells me this, and that, that puts you off. So the, the thing which interests me now is what is the best way to reach these coaches and what things suggests me or me immediately is we can't have one way. We can't just expect them to do uh, the three or four great CPDs which are available. There must be other ways. Uh, to- totally agree. Totally agree. And, and, and that's very much part of the conversation, um, you know, that I have with my committee and, you know, the conversation I have with the RDOs. We've, we're quite blessed with three RDOs. So RDOs uh, is... Uh, rugby development officers, so RFU professional staff, so they're permanently uh, employed, um, uh, sort of uh, rugby development officers. So we have... Uh, whilst they're not supposed to be geographical, we have one broadly in Gloucester, in the Gloucester area, one in Bristol, and one in the more sort of rural Stroud, Sirencester area. Um, they're, they're really a real, really powerful tool, if that makes sense, to get you sort of engaged with the clubs. And they have their own uh, CRC, so community uh, rugby coaches, um, uh, who go out and, and run courses or help coach help, help the clubs. You're absolutely right. There isn't a one-size-fits-all thing. So just to give an example of some of the ways we're, we're trying to do better, social media is one of them. Better information, faster information, the right information. Um, CPDs, uh, from a purely coaching perspective, um, we're trying to make them more accessible um, and try and get them out there. Uh, uh, noting. So what's, what's more accessible look like? Uh, right time, right place, I think is the simple answer. So uh, without being critical of anybody in the county, uh, we ran the kids' first age grade CPDs. So we're talking about the under nine, under ten, the CPDs uh, in October this year. Um, the season started third of September, uh, and yet six to eight weeks into the season, we were only just running them. I happened to do those CPDs with another county uh, previously. The point being that really, student beforehand, before you got into the season, and as you say, your head's full of all the distractions of other things. Um, so we're trying to put them at a better time and place for people um, and geographically in the right place. So we have some really interesting dynamics in the county with North South split. It's, it's um, there's a real Bristol Gloucester split. Uh, you know, that, I think it's accepted. Uh, <laughs> it, it, it occurs. And, and dare I say it, lots of Gloucester people won't come down to Bristol for coaching stuff because you know, it's just the way it is. It's, 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 it's interesting. Um, but I mean, over and above that, there's, there's a whole load of other stuff out there, you know, dare I say it, um, platforms like your website 
Um, so uh, I, I routinely, uh, you know, uh, get feeds from other websites as a coach myself, um, and I'll just sort of lodge the odd sort of drill or game, or whatever it is, um, to one side, ready, you know, so that when the week comes, they need to use it. It's there. Um, so uh, whether or not it's podcasts, whether or not it's uh, websites, whether or not it's uh, uh, you know all the RFU online stuff that keep your boots on, that uh, game changes. There is so much stuff out there. Um, I, I struggle sometimes when coaches say, "Yeah, I don't," you know, uh, yeah, my session's a bit boring or whatever. They're struggling for a session. Um, I, I, I personally struggle every sometimes with that notion. There is so much information out there probably too much and corralling it together and getting it to people um is is almost the challenge if that makes sense um you know as i say between you know your platform all the rfu stuff the magic academy stuff you know i think i think if you're if you're a inquisitive um coach if that makes sense if you're someone that's you know can find 10 minutes to google stuff there is so much stuff out there it's unbelievable um but then the thing is that, of course, you uh, and one of the reasons why I'm talking to you is because you're at you're a driving force behind coaching, so you're fully engaged with it. There are assistant coaches out there uh, or coaches who are have been like you were initially, sort of brought in at the last moment, and you are you don't have that. Uh, definite plan that you want to improve yourself how do we get to those coaches or are they are they not are we never going to access access? yeah again really good question uh and and again something that you know with my committee we've discussed at times uh that that there are probably a few groups of people so we could you know in in big handfuls there are those that are already engaged should we say the the people that come to the cpds already uh Mm. those that already understand things like kids first rugby they understand that there's stuff on the rfu website that might be of use sometimes and they're inquisitive and they go and find it uh we, we almost don't need to worry about them to without, without being silly about it uh, yeah, yeah there's there's the ones in the middle who who then perhaps uh don't don't know what good looks like and i, I don't mean that in a patronizing way and i'm not trying to preach to anybody about how to coach um but I think across RFU CPDs and across the community coaching community, um, you've only got to spend a little bit of time on Twitter to, to recognize that um, there is a there is a contemporary and recognized way that we should be coaching kids these days through probably through small, uh, small sided games, um, you know, that sort of stuff um, in, in that context. Um, so that group in the middle are the ones who, if you actually speak to them and, get, and can engage them, they probably will appreciate it and they probably will um perhaps make some changes and it might only be subtle changes and it might i'm not not saying that people are going to suddenly have an evangelical light bulb moment Mm -hmm. and and change everything but just just sowing that seed so they just think to themselves actually you know can i do something slightly differently this week that might improve it for the kids um and then there is probably the third group um and that's the group that are probably hard and fast in their way of doing things and and it's gonna be really really difficult to to reach them um, now, ultimately, you come back to the fact that they're, they're giving up their time to coach kids as long as they're not doing anything unsafe. <laughs> uh, in many ways, I would say that that's cool, you know. Uh, but what we want to do is close the gap between the three groups. We want to try and get as many people as possible engaged and understood. And, and I would, uh, an example recently, uh, I was sat with a mini junior chair um, at a club in Bristol. I'd been in there three weeks before and had a conversation about coaching kids uh, and some really simple stuff like 
you know, almost coaching one-on-one stuff of, you know, apes, active, purposeful, enjoyable, and safe. Um, you know, it, it, when you stand there and, you know, benchmark your session against those four, four words, um, even if you're not a coach yourself, you can kind of start to understand whether or not that's an appropriate session or not. Now, the session I was watching on that particular day that created that conversation uh, started with a, uh, a coach holding a tackle shield and the kids were told, told to run into the tackle shield. Um, well, th- that's not particularly appropriate and RFU guidance is that regulations would indicate that you don't ad- – adults should be ho- shouldn't be holding tackle shields anyway. Uh, and then a second bit was who's trying to teach nine-year-olds how to run a switch um, – uh, and at, at this point, most of the kids have stood still, et cetera, et cetera, a cold, windy night. Um, so we, I, uh, that created a conversation um, with the Minis and Juniors chair who didn't have any coaching background. So a month later, I sat down with her and we were talking about ways that we can try and help her and engage her coaches. And we looked outside and I said, right, let's just watch those kids out there. Um, how many of them are moving? Uh, and I, literally, we sat there for three or four minutes and most of them didn't move for three or four minutes. Um Interestingly, some of them came then came to a kids' first curry night we held in Bristol, and appeared to dare I say it have a bit of a light bulb moment. They were sat on a table with a bunch of other coaches who were really coaching us, in a, you know, in perhaps the more contemporary way. Um, uh, and uh, they they literally walked away going, "I probably need to think about how I'm coaching." You know, I shouldn't be lining kids up um, and getting them running to run into tackle shields. I shouldn't be, the kids should be moving more often. They should be more engaged, more touch time with more passings, more passes, you know, all this sort of stuff. Um, so that was a really interesting, just like, just small moment of, you know, that we've acknowledged there might be a bit of an issue there. Uh, we've kind of confirmed it a second time by visiting the club a second time. Uh, and the way we engaged them was put, we, we gave them a kid's first curry night and they came along, didn't pay a thing for food, but they importantly sat next to other people um, and, uh, and through sheer osmosis and just chatting, they probably walked away going, yeah, okay, I probably think I could think I could do things differently. Um, and it would be better for the kids. Well, I think probably you do yourself a disservice uh, by saying sheer osmosis because one of the things which one discovers through many walks of life that change often happens through stronger human connections. And the very fact that they were sitting down in an environment where they felt that they weren't under scrutiny, they were able to see, hear, and discover for themselves different ways to do things. And therefore, they weren't necessarily under pressure to change, but they sensed that a change could be made. Now, if you'd been at that training session and you'd gone out and I know you wouldn't, and one wouldn't, uh, uh, you say, would you mind if I observed the session? That would be, the defences would go up straight away, and after the session, the conversation would not be a fun one for either party, and whether change would happen or not would be a different question. So these things like the, the curry night sound, they sound fantastic. Uh, who doesn't like it? Well, some people don't like curry, but who in a uh, in a rugby environment doesn't enjoy that sort of thing? So that that sounds to me almost more important than sitting down on a CPD and saying, right, this is how you coach uh, this aspect, this is how you coach that aspect. So is there is there other ways to create those sorts of environments? Is there a way to do that on a Sunday morning? Um, yes, is the is the simple answer and and. One of the things that I see across the county with different clubs is, um, dare I say, so more broadly, um, the clubs that are well-led um, 
uh, from a leadership perspective in terms of minutes and genius chairs and people that want to be forward thinking, you can spot them a mile away. Um, I, 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 you know, whether or not we're at meetings, or whatever, a couple of nights, probably two nights a week. Do they always wear shorts, by the way? <laughs> Don't know. <laughs> not everyone does. <laughs> Um, uh, they, they, uh, um, sorry. Uh, so, uh, yeah, you can see them a mile away. So I'll go into a club and, uh, you know, it's not just me, but the RDOs, whoever, uh, and you only have to stand back and, and watch and listen, uh, you know, a mini section training. Yeah. And you can make a, you can make an initial call within the first two or three minutes. Um, you know, I, I turned up to a club and literally couldn't, couldn't make a phone call between the car and the clubhouse because all I could hear was the under-13s coach screaming non-stop at his players mm-hmm. and telling them what to do. You know, classic kind of sat-nav coaching, if that makes sense, you know, um, yeah. from, the, from the sideline. Um, not quite sure how he expected his players to make decisions when the, when the time came on the pitch. If When he was coaching, he was just non-stop screaming, go left, go right, now tackle, more, whatever it might be. Um, so uh, it, we're looking at more innovative ways to try and engage some of these people so we uh we've had some conversations with uh, the likes of russell earnshaw um about sort of uh, magic academy takeovers and there was some great work going on across the county with from uh gloucester and bristol uh, community foundations so uh, as an example bristol community foundation chuck called craig capel sort of delivers um sort of they call them super sundays but they'll go away and do an hour's uh, C, um, sort of very informal CPD effectively with the coaches. And then they'll go out and, and spend the morning coaching the kids. Um, there's normally a, a trip to Ashton Gate in amongst that just to try and engage the parents and engage everyone. Um, but it's about just it's that point of just trying to sow that seed of there might be a different way to do things. Um, you know, and, and there are lots of ways to do it, whether or not it's the community foundations, whether or not it's the, the, the more formal CPDs, uh, down to, I think we were both at the Atten session, the Atten Magic Academy session, where, mm. um, you know, let's be really honest, at times we struggled to get 20 people in the county to a CPD, or they were doing better than we were, I think. Uh, there were somewhere there were even 50 coaches at, at Yatton that evening. Um, mm-hmm. admittedly all like-minded they all kind of traveled some some distance or most people did uh, to be there uh, but that but when we were there the environment was very informal it was very relaxed no one felt you know they were being challenged as such or, or that people were being challenging um, but that was about creating that safe environment for people to have those conversations and say well I don't quite you know whether or not it's a question about you know something's going on at coaching they don't quite get it whatever it might be um, so there, there are lots of ways. Look, the curry nights, we're looking to run two or three more curry nights over the next, um, uh, sort of the next, hopefully six to eight weeks. Uh, I think the next one's at Dursley um, for sort of the Stroud district clubs. Um, and again, if we can engage two or three people and make a difference to two or three people um, and, and bring people together um, uh, and communicating better and learning and just off each other, then that's really what it's all about. So just tell me quickly what happens at a curry night. Uh, then, obviously, apart from eating curry. Yeah, really, really simple. Really simple. Literally, uh, normally starts about seven-ish. Uh, the, the, they are kids' first curry night. So they're, they're actually funded by the RFU, uh, kids' first team. Um, and there is a slide deck that somebody will kind of um, sort of uh, front of house, if that makes sense, and, uh, and, and will run through. And there's just a whole series of questions. And it, and it literally is, you know, here's a scenario. Um Right, you know, across your tables, and generally there'd be two or three, four or five tables of people sat there um, in groups. Uh, hopefully, try and mix people up so they're not just sat with people from their own club. That's important to mix the, to mix the people up. 
Um, so they're not always sat next to their best mate that they normally talk to. Um, and, and yeah, and, it, and it's just a really informal method of um, talking through scenarios, talking through ideas. Um, and in some cases, we can tailor it. Um, there is a standard slide deck, effectively. Um, some short videos uh, where we get to see Adam Cottingham uh, chatting to us um uh through the videos uh, and then we break halfway through have some curry which kind of makes it even more informal more relaxed uh, certainly the one we ran at north bristol rfc a few weeks back trying to get people sat back down after curry was quite a challenge not because people didn't want to sit down but because actually they'd already started chatting about stuff um and it was the stuff we wanted them to be chatting about so it was you know how do you do this how do you do that and it's all about sharing information um i i, I think one of the um one of the uh, cliches or, or sort of one of the um, problems perhaps is that um, certainly in an environment where there's lots of clubs in the same place, clubs can get quite tribal and, and they don't want to speak to the club next door to them, if that makes sense. Not always the case because sometimes they've got really close bonds and relationships and links through friendships um, that have been probably built up over a long time over through rugby. Um but actually getting some of these clubs sat next to each other and just breaking down some barriers and just going, actually, we, we do things like X, Y, and Z. And, and, and the club next door going, that's brilliant. We might take that, we might take that idea forward and do our own little version of it. Um, the outcome for the rugby community is hopefully more kids playing uh, and a better environment for the children and, uh, and some better behaviours around the game. Uh, that's really what it's all about. So from what you're just saying, is that we want to get more kids playing and we want to reduce tribalism and yet the clubs will try and generate the players and there's this idea and it doesn't really always happen that uh, we'll get the player under eight plays under nines works his way through and eventually he'll be a first team player now i'm i would be interested to see the research on how many players play for a first team in a local club are from the youth and junior section and how many have moved to the area or have come from other clubs for various different reasons. Is there a, is there a case really for trying to use the clubs in a, in a completely different way and saying, right, you are a cluster, you just try and get as many players as you can there, uh, maybe create some uh, scenarios where there is some team play, but we will get together maybe once every uh, four weeks and we will try and put together four or five teams, just like you would in a, um, say, like an England under 16 in the old days or England under 18 environment. And you play with lots of different players. You learn some different things, hear some different voices. Is that is that possible? Is that something which sounds um, a bit weird? Yeah. I mean, I, I know that you don't mind thinking weird, but <laughs> is that um, too dreamy? No, I, so, so it, again, it's a really, uh, really good and quite a personal question so uh i i mentioned one of the different dynamics around the county so in bristol and, and i apologize anybody in gloucester listening to this that isn't from bristol but bear with me uh, in bristol you can on a sunday morning drive 10 minutes around the ring roads and probably drive past five six clubs um it's really congested um you know there's a lot of competition you know in in a way to to, to recruit kids um, it only takes a new club to move into the area with some money and suddenly, you know, age groups are, are moving across to another club uh, and, and it creates, you know, some friction, should we say. So there's what you're describing is sort of what's already going on. So under 12s in Bristol, there's a bit of a bit of a nuanced issue going on with under 12s, partly because the schools 
have done rugby in the second term, not the first term. So when under 12s and teams get bigger in under 12s to, from, from nine in, uh, under 11s to, to 12 players, and there's normally an influx of players to most clubs, because the schools weren't playing in the first term, there are a load of teams out there now struggling for players because they've all got fixed on, or the kids are all fixed on football. Uh, and of course, we came off the back of a World Cup football uh, summer. Mm. So what we're seeing in Bristol is lots of clubs collaborating. Uh, and I know, um, for example, there's a team called, uh, I think they call themselves uh, North Bristol Nomads, I think it is. And there's about five different clubs, all barbarianing up effectively. They might train separately or in pairs uh, together as clubs, but they come together. Um, so that's one aspect of it. Actually, what we're seeing is right now is a lot of collaboration between some of these clubs to, to really survive because the coaches are recognising that if they don't do that, kids won't play rugby. It'll be simple as that. And, and when you've got teams that are supposed to be you know under 12 teams supposed to be 12 man teams so you really need sort of 18 in a squad perhaps to really survive during the season uh you know when, when clubs have got only let's call it you know 10 11 12 players that they that it's really they're really not viable so that's one side of stuff that's happening um the, the kind of the further step that almost you you were talking about was doing something totally different and slightly machiavellian which is just totally changing the shape of it um i think is what you're implying um, mm. pro- pro- probably uh, uh, yes is the answer um, I think there is some appetite to do lots of that sort of stuff um, uh, you, you have to break through some of those some of those tribalisms and the traditions um, so uh, there are lots of clubs out there who are very open-minded to doing those sorts of things um, uh, you know and there, and there are some interesting conversations going on around uh, certainly with that you know, drawing in a totally separate subject, uh, Gloucestershire a few last year before I arrived in the organisation, uh, I probably should add, um, cancelled for at least a year and it has been now for two years, all their county cups. Uh, so there's a question as to what we're going to now run for the under 13s and the 14s. One of the conversations is let's do something totally different. Let, let's, let's not even do waterfall festivals. Let's just create an utterly development based format in clusters. Um, it is it's kind of one of the ideas. Now these are just ideas before anybody from Gloucestershire gets too too upset about what we're proposing. These aren't these aren't hard and fast. These are just conversations happening right now. But you know, let's let let's take a cluster of clubs and let's run a development festival. You know, let's let's not tell the coaches what you're going to run on a day. Let's say just bring a squad of twenty and actually let's just barbarian up the teams. Take three players from each team. Let's give them a different coach for the day. Let's make them play tens rugby, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Let's do something totally different to break through all those competitive adult behavior things where people are sort of drilling their teams perhaps because they want to win games on Sunday. And let's just go back to what we probably should be looking at, which is development of players. And let's just be utterly development based um, for a couple of sessions a, a year. Um, and, and let's reward some really good behaviors in, in that sense, coaching behaviors. And let's challenge the kids in a different way. It sort of ties in with what you were, what you were talking about in terms of uh, clusters and just doing something totally different. So, um, yeah, all of that is just ideas right now, but th- th- they are interesting ideas. Um, I suspect the answer will be we'll kind of we'll go halfway. I suspect, um, <laughs> and, and there won't be the appetite to go all the way. Well, and there's nothing wrong with keeping um, club loyalties and affiliations because there's lots of learning within that and you develop uh, strong bonds with your teammates outside school. So we have, we have, we can't throw that out. Um, and 
just just because we want to change an, another another aspect of maybe adult behavior and there's always unintended consequences by by doing that what one thing you said a little bit earlier on was the fact that there was no uh, there was a less um, less of a diet of rugby at the start of the season so lots of players dropped out and played football now there is a, there is an argument to say oh how refreshing that is that these players are out doing something different and maybe it gives others a chance to play a bit more rugby and um, they shouldn't be playing as much rugby as possible is should should we be fighting for the time of uh, the valuable time of these sports players or should we just allow them to play whatever sport just be glad of it and they'll come back to rugby and I just just to before you, you jump in and answer that Tim I, I you've been in coaching um, uh, for five six years uh, you've been getting uh, sons out of bed on a Sunday morning and uh, in the next couple of years they'll be saying what not another Sunday morning is there a danger that uh, they lose that desire to play just because of the churn of rugby I'm not suggesting your sessions aren't going to be fun week in week out but is do they need some space actually to stop playing rugby do something else and then be really looking forward to the the 14, 20 weeks of rugby. Uh, my, my, so this is entirely my personal view now. Uh, uh, well, great, that's exactly what I want. My, I don't want the line <laughs> of uh, what you think you should say. Say my, what you my, want my, to say, my, please. My, my answer would be uh, let the kids play whatever sport they want to play. Um, and uh, actually multi-sporting, there's lots of evidence that that's good for kids in the long term. Uh, it probably gives them different skills. Um, so any kid that's playing I don't know, basketball and cricket alongside rugby probably has great hand-eye coordination. Uh, it's probably developing some different skills. Um, I'm sure I've seen some basketball overhead passes uh, for my team this year from a couple of kids that I think play a little bit of basketball. Um, for me, uh, we've got kids who have taken a year out this year. One lad that does taekwondo um, and needed to focus, wanted to focus on some other stuff, getting his black belts and second dans and stuff and whatever and that's utterly cool for me personally I, I have no issue with that clearly it's frustrating when that kind of manifests itself in perhaps struggling to get a side out um, and you can look at it and go well, maybe if we were slightly more hard over from a very personal perspective from our team we um, the team that I, that I coach and I'm involved in running we have over the years and I've only taken on head coach this year sort of leading it um but over the last few years, we've always been relatively relaxed with the parents and the kids. Certainly nothing like no train, no play policy, which I know other clubs uh, and other sides do. You know, when we're talking to 10, 11 year olds, personally, I find that slightly difficult to, to, to fathom because a lot of the time the, it's not the kids that aren't at training or kids that decide not to go. It's the parents because they're too busy or whatever it might be. Or maybe the kids have got homework or whatever. So like, for, for me, if the kids want to play, they'll keep coming back. Um, you know, whilst we want rugby to be a sport for all, it's not a sport for everyone, if that makes sense. Um, uh, mm. You know, and, and my son, uh, from a personal perspective, my son plays cricket during the summer uh, and he loves all his sports and he'll, he'll give, everything, give everything a go. Um, but, I'm, you know, I know that when it comes to, you know, in August, he's starting to say, when, when are we going to start doing some preseason rugby stuff? Um, you know, and that's exactly what we did for a small number of kids. My, but but I we didn't do anything till August, and that was deliberately to give everyone, including the coaches and the parents, a break um, because they've got the other stuff going on. For me, kids should should be 
uh, sort of allowed to do other sports. Now, I'm not saying every kid should do other sports because uh, there are some that are just hard over. They want to play rugby. And I've got a, there's a one particular lad uh, in my team who who you know sport cr- cricket. Sorry, cricket rugby is his only sport. Um, it's all he wants to do. It's all he ever does. Um, if we're lucky, we can get him kicking a football around and, and warm up, um, that sort of thing. Uh, but yeah, it, kids should be given the opportunity to play the sports. And I, and I, I don't buy into um, that notion of, um, oh, if you don't play another sport during the summer, they might not come back. If, if they're going to come back, they're going to come back. Um, you know, and, and I wouldn't want to make silly comments like, you know, if your sessions are, are, are fun and interesting enough, they'll come back um, because that's probably unfair because there could be other variables going on. Um, but, you know, if they're going to come back, they're going to come back. And, um, yeah, let, let them play the sports. They'll, they'll learn skills. They'll learn more hand-eye coordination. That they'll, they'll probably be better athletes for it. Um, and, and importantly, they will have a break from the attrition of physical and sort of mental attrition that, of the rugby season, I think. Yeah, I think that also the county boards perhaps could actually say this is going to be a fallow week. We don't. Uh, we would thoroughly encourage you not to have a fixture, have the weekend off. I certainly, and I have mentioned on a previous podcast, is that uh, for about four or five years, um, we used to be told by the club that we were playing against uh, on, and this is terrible because I can't even remember the date, but it's coming up, I think, is that I'm afraid it's Mother's Day today, so the fixture has to finish by 11:30, and we said this is ridiculous. We, you know, this is, and then eventually I realised uh, that makes a lot of sense. And we, we, for a couple of years, we actually didn't play on Mother's Day weekend. It was brilliant because everybody felt a lot better for it, and uh, the kids didn't feel they missed out, um, and it was less stressful all around. And I, I feel that sometimes uh, we should actually say, okay, uh, week seven, uh, everyone have a break. Yeah. Yeah. Don't, don't, play, don't, play, don't play in rugby. And we, thorough, uh, we strongly encourage you not to have any yeah. training, to give everybody a week off. And uh, maybe they can even book to go off and do, off, do all the things they're supposed to be doing. It could. Uh, this is the moment that uh, we find out when the uh, Gloucestershire weekend is, and we can put up our Airbnb prices. <laughs> the, 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 yeah. So, the, so the again, some interesting dynamics going on. So there used to be some guidance uh, from the RFU that minis under twelves and below shouldn't train midweek. Uh, there are lots of clubs in Gloucestershire that still sort of follow that, um, and, and credit mm-hmm. to them. I think. Um, interestingly, uh, one of those teams. And we, and we do deliver a training midweek, sort of skills training midweek. Uh, one of those clubs, um, you know, I think won five out of six of their games at the recent Land Rover Cup. Re- really good team. Uh, clearly have not suffered from not playing, not training midweek. Uh, whereas, you know, you go to other, other areas where they, they're absolutely adamant they must train midweek because otherwise how are the players going to develop? It, it's not quite as binary as that. You know, more is not better. Mm-hmm. Um the, the point about um, training versus matches that, you know, there's some, so I think there's some extant guidance out there that, um, and certainly the RGOs and CRCs would certainly say things like um, three training sessions to every one match. Um, that can be a challenge sometimes. I think lots of clubs just fill up their fixture mm. lists. Um, my, for the team that I coach, we, we opted out of a number of fixtures this this week, this year, because uh, we were going to have five five Sundays on the bounce or six Sundays on the bounce with fixtures. Um, and we made a conscious decision to say, actually, we'll break it up. 
um, for, for all the reasons that you've mentioned. Um, uh, you know, it, it, it's it's really interesting. There is the 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 at, at its worst, uh, and, and I say this tongue in cheek, there is the um, you can't possibly cancel rugby for the cold weather. You know, for whatever whatever reason it might be, because they're rugby players and they're robust, and therefore they must play, train through everything. Um, you know that 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 at its extent, take it to to its fullest extent, is you know never having a break. Um, you know, and I know teams that don't even barely, they barely break during Christmas. Uh, it, it, I personally don't think it's healthy. Um, take a break. Uh, you know, a break is a, a rest is good at break or whatever the, what the saying is. Um, all those good good sayings. Tim, this has been great. I've uh, really enjoyed some of your insights into the the way that coaching is coming across from your point of view, um, both actually with the team and then looking at it above with your role with uh, the the county. Um, if there's one thing now that you would say to a coach who's just starting out and you're going to say, you're going to have this support, this support and that support. If they're just starting out um, coaching this week, maybe they're, they're the assistant coach at a club. What would be the one thing that you would say, don't worry about this. I've been through it. Um, so I think that my simple advice would be keep things as simple as possible. Uh, revert back to things like the mnemonic apes uh, when you're running a session. And so I that's uh, being active. Active, purposeful. Running around. Purposeful, yep. meaning that they, they it's clear what they're trying to achieve. Yep. Enjoyable. Uh, enjoyable. So enjoyable means that they are moving around and there's probably a little bit of competition in there yep. Yep. as well. And then safe. Well, obviously yep. you're not holding tackle bags or yep. uh, tackling the players. Absolutely. And, and, and alongside that, and you've, we've kind of covered it sort of with the expert, um, I, I think have a, have a clear purpose on any session you want to run. And, and I think it took me a long time to really, really get that. I was sometimes perhaps was, you know, trying to write session plans or be involved in session plans, but actually just have a really clear intent of what you're, what you're trying to achieve because the session might go in a different direction, if that makes sense. Uh, you know, but you might still achieve the same thing. So you're, you're, you're very, you know, after 20 minutes going to do this and then I'm going to move on to this and then this, that might not work. The kids might effectively take it in a different direction and that's utterly cool. Uh, that's, that's, that's brilliant. Uh, but just understand what you were trying to achieve in a session. Um, and then, uh, in, 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 in amongst all that, um, the fight. The, the, other, the other obvious bit of advice that I think I've learned over the years is don't don't knee jerk reactions to matches. So if you get outrucked in one week, don't go, don't run your session the next week with just you know eighty percent rucks. That that's not how it works. If there's a long term trend, yeah, cool, happy days, do something about it. Uh, maybe the, the core skills of the kids aren't there, but try and have a long term plan if that makes sense. That clear intent of how you want to do it and how you want to coach and, and, and what you want to coach. Um, uh, don't need you after every session, because I think we spend a lot of time sat in the bar after the matches going, Oh, you know, they were much stronger than us in the rip. I'm going to do some rip, some rip, get some rip drills out, you know, for the next session, you know, just try and keep it long term. try and keep it really as simple as possible. Um, and, and don't, don't stress about the detail is what I would say to people. Um, as easy as that sounds, it's, I know it's not that straightforward. Well, it, it, but it's great to hear from someone who's been through it and uh, to a certain extent come out the other side uh, and, and seen what, what it is. And un- unfortunately, quite often, 
um, the, all these skills and experiences get lost because inevitably you, you, your son comes to the end of his career and that's when you finish as well. And then all these nuggets are, are missed out and they are, uh, they are crucial to uh, give the coach confidence. And I speak to lots of coaches who are worried about, oh, I've got to sort this problem out. And then you, eventually through questioning and thought, they step back and say, well, actually, I've just got to be a little less, I suppose, knee-jerk reaction yep. to these situations. Tim, that's been brilliant. Thank you very much for your time and also for answering about eight questions which you never expected to answer <laughs> when I first started this uh, the podcast this yeah, evening. No problem. No problem. We, were, we were looking forward to inviting uh, Andy Stevens on and we were going to talk about some very controversial areas about what's fun and silly and do we need tags and that sort of thing. And then I asked you some complicated political questions about Gloucestershire rugby. <laughs> uh, so brilliant. That's been great. Thanks, Tim. No, thank you, Darren. Uh, as thank always, you. for your... Uh, enthusiastic uh, support of rugby in in the West Country, and uh, I'm sure a lot of people uh, are benefiting a lot from what you and your group of uh, group of not acolytes uh, group of coaches are doing. So, cheers, Tim. Thanks very much for your time. Thanks for listening to the Rugby Coach Weekly podcast. If you want to hear more podcasts, head over to RugbyCoachWeekly.net and click on the Blogs tab to catch up on any episodes you've missed. We look forward to speaking to you again soon with more insights from coaches and experts from the world of rugby, sport, and learning.